We're in the book of Acts, and we're in the eighth chapter. We've been marching our way through the book of Acts, and we're in the last, really, uh, last couple of paragraphs of the book of, uh, of the eighth chapter of Acts. A little background before I read the passage. Uh, at the opening of chapter eight, there is the persecution that breaks out in the church, and uh, up to that point, everybody in the church had been in Jerusalem. And it had spread in that area, and now persecution has broke out, and they were spread throughout Judea, Samaria. And the narrative in Acts 8 follows uh, Philip up to Samaria, uh, where he is talking to people there about Christ and salvation and presenting the gospel, and many are coming to faith and believing in Jesus through the ministry and the preaching of Philip. And um, there's so much going on in Samaria that uh, there are uh, apostles, Peter and John, dispatched from Jerusalem to go up to Samaria, see this revival that's going on through the ministry of Philip. So they arrive, they lay their hands on people, many are filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. There's this amazing, almost Pentecost-like event going on uh, in Samaria through the ministry uh, of Philip. And then uh, that kind of... Uh, it, 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 it gets to a point where Philip and, uh, I mean, where Peter and John are making their way back to Jerusalem, and it's on to the next chapter of, of the early church's existence. And so I want to pick up the story in verse 25 and read to the end of the chapter. It's a little bit lengthy, but you really need to hear the entire setting and the entire story in order for us to make some comments about it. So I'm going to read from Acts 8:25 through the end of the chapter. So when they, and this is talking of Peter and John, when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. This is a desert road. Uh, Luke, who is the Holy Spirit's uh, scribe, if you will, for the book of Acts, felt compelled to let us know that this different way uh, that Philip is going to be taken is a desert way. So verse 27, Philip, so he got up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this from the book of Isaiah. He was led as a sheep to slaughter and as a lamb before its shearers is silent. So... He does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this this scripture, he preached Jesus to him, which the passage was all about. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And then a little explanation about verse 37. Uh, Verse 37 does not occur in most all ancient manuscripts, and um, 
And so if, if it is in your Bible, if you're reading from a different version than I am, or if it's in your Bible, it's probably bracketed as saying this is not in any of the original languages. We kind of believe that it was added perhaps in the Latin text uh, when the scribe felt like it was necessary for clarification or something. Uh, in many versions, the NIV, for one, this verse is actually omitted. It just jumps from 36 to 38, and there's no 37. But here it is. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. And a point I made a few weeks ago, when Jesus shows up, there's always rejoicing. But Philip, um, we're not sure how this happened, but he's kind of transported Star Trek style, okay? All right? He's kind of beam me up Scotty from here to Azotos, okay? Um, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. There's just a lot to unpack in there. Uh, we won't get to all of it, but uh, just I would encourage you to read this passage because it is so rich and uh, so many things there. One of the first things that stands out to me is that the apostles Peter and John, they go back to Jerusalem, and we can assume that they go back the normal path. There'd be no reason for them not to. And Philip, the implication of the passage is that he was going to accompany them, but then this angel intervenes and tells him, you need to go a different way, and perhaps it requires an angel because of the message. You don't get to go the nice, easy way of Peter and John. You get to go the desert way. And you're going to, if you know where Samaria is and where Gaza, his route is, Jerusalem is in between. And no, don't go to Jerusalem. Once you go down on the coastal side, down to Gaza, where it's more desolate. Verse 27 simply begins with, so he got up and went. I say amen. He heard the word of the Lord. There was no bargaining with God. There was no complaining about the difficulty of the journey, no need for clarification. He just got up and went. That speaks to me. When God says, go, just go, even if it takes you to the wilderness. Does sometimes God intentionally lead us into the wilderness? Yeah. Good things happen in the wilderness. I love the way that God uses Philip throughout this narrative, both in Samaria and to this Ethiopian. It's a, it's, a, it's a difficult, difficult time for God's people. Obviously, persecution, there's confrontation everywhere. And uh, yet there are still people, there are these spirit-filled messengers of the gospel willing to just put it all on the line to help people see how good how filled with grace the Lord Jesus is. They're, they're not about creating a movement or a cause to try to overthrow the, the leaders of the Jewish, Jewish faith back there in Jerusalem so that they can establish Christianity as the new. No, it was never about political gain. It was always about the person 
of Jesus Christ and that He can change a person's heart. And I found it. And I want you to find it. I mean, what does it take to be so Holy Spirit-led, so completely gospel-oriented that not even persecution can distract you, can't even get you off, can't even grab your attention? Aren't you glad we're not persecuted in the United States of America today? Aren't you glad that we'll never be persecuted in the United States of America today? I think it's critical that we understand what it is that keeps these folks who are enduring far worse than any of us have ever endured in this cultural context and are still laser-focused on the gospel message of Jesus Christ because they're convinced He's the only hope we have. Two things come to mind. First, if you're going to be this kind of person, you've got to be all in. There's no half-heartedness about it. There's something about persecution and confrontation to your faith that it demands. <laughs> either you're in or you're not. You're either all in or you're all not. And uh, we hear about that when Jesus is talking about the end times in Matthew 24 and 25. He says a lot of the believers will be deceived because they're really not all in. The other thing is, uh, to being led by the Spirit, is that, uh, uh, before I say it, I want you to know before I say it, this is good news. I mean, I haven't said it yet, but that's all right. Uh, to be led by the Spirit means you don't get any input into the plans. Aren't you glad? Man, I'm glad I don't get any input. This is not about us bringing our good ideas and God bringing His good ideas and we'll work out a plan. This is about, God, what's your plan? I'll go with it. If it's in the wilderness, that's where I'm going to go because I trust you. I know that you know what you're doing. Doesn't sound right to me. Doesn't look right to me. I just felt like it was important for you to understand a little bit about the wilderness between Jerusalem and Gaza. And so I found this modern day picture. That's where Philip met the eunuch. Doesn't it look wonderful? Look at all those trees, the forest, right? I got to be honest with you if I was Philip, I would have asked the angel for a little bit more clarification. Could you just go back to the Father, make sure, 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 right? Would you? No, you're a lot more obedient than I am probably, but... Uh... You know, I've learned this about God. One of the things that I can expect from God most of the time is the unexpected. He operates on a whole different way. He operates on a whole different level. He knows what is going to do and bring the best to my life. He knows what is the best for His people. He knows what is the best for His mission. And if I'll just walk in His Spirit and let His Spirit guide my steps and I can abide in the presence of the Lord God Almighty, that He will guide me into ways that are fruitful and meaningful. 
He may, for instance, he may ask me and, and lead me and just impress upon me that I should give money to someone when I don't have enough money for my family. Wouldn't that be great? Okay. And, 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 and by doing that, he's going to use that in both families to work his change. He may lead you to leave a well-paying, well-paying profession to fulfill his call in ministry, and you just are going to walk away from all that money in order to see God's Spirit use you in powerful, mighty ways. You may be just graduating from high school, and you got this full-ride scholarship to this school, and it makes you feel so good, and God is saying, I really would like for you to go to this school over here and pay your own way. He doesn't think like us. And He knows what brings the ultimate good to our lives, to His church, to the culture around us. I say this often, but I say it it again today. There is no safer place to be than in the middle of God's will for your life. It's scary everywhere else. There is no safer place to be than in dead center middle of God's will for your life. But you never know where it's going to take you. You know, one other thing about this uh, journey of Philip's into the wilderness. I think sometimes we read the, the, we read the Bible too quickly and we just, perhaps we've heard this story before, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you have to stop and ponder the context in which this story appears. In other words, he has just been in Samaria, and there has been this mighty, fruitful revival, ministry success like a pastor would dream of. I mean, he's just preaching, and people are going, I want to know Jesus. He's praying with this person, and this person, and this person, and this person, and they're all coming to faith, and it's just a mighty outpouring of the Spirit. And then the angel said, and you know, if you were Philip, you're going, okay, now where can we take this to the next place? And the Spirit says, okay, I want you to leave this and I want you to go out into the desert where there's nobody. It'd be like telling Billy Graham, you got to go out to the desert. There's no people there. Just a reminder, we don't always know what God's up to. And if you read the whole context of these several chapters through the book of Acts, it begins to emerge what's happening here. God has this bigger plan than what happened in Samaria. He has a bigger plan than even what's happening to this Ethiopian in the, in the desert. God is communicating something by how He is orchestrating the spread of the gospel in this infant stage of the church. There is a reason, a profound reason that God is leading Philip to this particular man in this particular place. And to understand that, you've got to understand a little, about, a little bit about this guy. Uh, in verse 27, we get the description. He's a eunuch, a castrated male, a court official of Candace, this dynasty of queens in Ethiopia. And uh, he was in charge of all the money of the palace. And, and this man, this Ethiopian, had come to Jerusalem to worship. There was something about the Jewish faith that intrigued him. 
it's easy to say he is about as different as you could get from the believers in Jerusalem. And there's a reason. That's the point he's trying to make. He was from an area of the world we know today as Sudan. I like what Ryan Tannehill, uh, Ryan, he's a quarterback. Oh, sorry. I knew I was going to do that, okay? Robert Tannehill, a Bible commentator. Better to quote him, right? He observes this about the Ethiopian. He says, he is a very strong representative of foreignness within a Jewish context. He writes, he comes from the edge of the known world of the black race, is a castrated male, and probably, most likely, a Gentile. Did you know that Jews even had a law that prevented castrated males from coming into the synagogue? You don't get any more different from the makeup of this new church in Jerusalem than this Ethiopian. Philip had just come from Samaria. What did Jews think about Samarians? Samarians was a whole race of people that was created by the intermarrying of Jews and Gentiles, and Jews despised them. Extreme prejudice existed, and they felt rightfully so. And so you have this first expression of the persecuted church dispersing. You have this first expression into the presentation of the Gospels to the Samaritans, the despised ones of the Jews. Then you have this Ethiopian from the edge of the known world, this black man. He's the next convert. Then if you follow the story in chapter 9, we have this grace-hating Pharisee, Saul. He's the next convert. And then if you go to chapter 10, the next convert after that is the house of Cornelius, which was all Gentiles. Is God trying to tell us something? Put the four up there. Samaritans, the Ethiopian, the Pharisee, the Gentiles. None of them fit well into this Jerusalem body of the new believers of Jesus Christ. These are all not like us. making a point, and we best get this today. My church will be a church for all the nations. My church will be a church for all races, for all backgrounds. When God says, love and accept, just love and accept, even if they are not like you. I mean, I, I'll just admit, I watch too much news. Anybody with me? My heart breaks when I watch the news. I look at the divisions in our country, and uh, 
I look at the, 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 the racial stuff that's going on in these events that have exposed this, this disease. And uh, then I see the, the situation seized upon in a way that communicates that we are going to capitalize on these events and we are going to change the systemic problems of our culture. We have the power to change it all. And we see the rise of movements, causes, and they've garnered support from governments, educational systems, even sports leagues. It's as if we as Americans have decided we can use the power of culture to enforce correction of systemic problems that exist because of the evil in the hearts of people. I'm preaching this across this crowd and across the country in this feed, internet-wise. It won't work. We don't need a new cultural mandate to fix our problems. We need a massive movement of the grace of Jesus Christ to change the heart of person after person after person. And when they're changed, culture changes. I knocked off my pack with that. And folks, the church is the catalyst, right? When God, what God is saying in the way He chose to expand this church in these early days is that everybody's welcome. Everybody's loved. Everybody can be forgiven. Everybody can know the matchless grace of Jesus Christ and the joy that only comes from Him. Everybody. And there is no place in the church for prejudice of any kind because that's not who our Savior is. And He went out of His way to show us. He died for the despised Samaritans. He died for the culturally distant African. He even died for the grace-hating, legalistic church person, the Pharisee. And he died for the outcasts, the Gentiles. He loves them, every one of them. And so do his people. It doesn't work any other way. I've seen movements come up lately that want to involve the church. I get emails. I get contacted by this. and They want the church to become a part of this movement, this, this, this seizing upon the current thing with government and other cultural organizations. If we all come together, we can end the systemic problem of racism. And I have to tell you, when I read Scripture, I don't see that kind of coalition having any potential of success. Only Christ can change a person's heart. I said it either last week or the week before, you cannot have a moment-by-moment, -moment, ongoing, intimate relationship with Jesus and be a racist. You just can't. The two are mutually incompatible. The church 
filled with changed hearts will love all the peoples of the world. They will love no matter what class, race, gender, sinful past. The church loves them all and loves them into the saving, transforming grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, I sang, I sang the song when I was a kid in Sunday school. You might have too. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in His sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. He loves their parents too. He loves us if we're poor or if we're rich, if we're fat, skinny, bald, or hairy. <laughs> Amen? He loves people with tattoos and piercings. A little weaker on the amen there, but he loves them. He loves them. God loves them if they're gay. He loves them if they're transgender. God loves Republicans. And I'm proclaiming here today, God loves Democrats. And the church said, I would even say he loves Marxists and fascists. Aren't you glad he doesn't look at our past? He's just ready to come into each one of their lives and transform their hearts and give them a whole new future that's nothing like their past. He wants to come and bring his life into every person. And he expresses that intention through his people, the church. I think of this experience of Philip. It had to have been surreal for him. <laughs> I mean, this Philip was a Hellenistic Jew. In other words, he spoke Greek. He didn't speak Hebrew. So we have this Greek-speaking Jew in the middle of a wilderness talking to a black man sitting in a chariot. He, as he approaches, he hears the man reading from the prophet Isaiah out loud and Philip asked him this simple question, do you know what you're reading? It would be an easy, normal question to ask, do you know what you're reading? And the man says, how can I know unless someone guides me? Come on, you, you must know. So could you get in my chariot with me and explain to me the prophet Isaiah? I got to tell you, this is an evangelism layup, right? It doesn't get any easier than this. Not only that, the Ethiopians reading probably the the Old Testament is all they had then, you know. He's probably reading the passage of the Old Testament that is the best one for Philip to use to present the gospel about Jesus to him. Isaiah 52, 53, that whole passage in there. You see, when the Holy Spirit is leading, He will go before you. He will resource you. He will empower you with whatever is needed to carry out His plan. Philip just opened up the Ethiopian to the beauty of Jesus and just told him what words the Holy Spirit gave him. 
So when God says, tell them, just tell them. And let the Holy Spirit use you. I mean, some of you may be saying today, I wish I could have an evangelism layup. Or somebody would come to me begging, tell me how to find Jesus. Obviously, it doesn't usually work that way. But you've got to look at what Philip had already done. Philip had already been obedient and gone to Samaritans where they had a bias against Jews also. And he was preaching the gospel there. And then when the angel said, go down the desert way, of course I'll go down the desert way because the angel told me to. When he says, go and talk to this black man sitting in this chariot, he says, of course I'll do that. And maybe in your relationship with somebody that you'd like to see come to faith, there's just this call of God right now for a step of obedience. It may not be time for the conversation. It may be time for the ministry and the love and the inclusion and the whatever He leads you to do. The story continues with the Ethiopian believing in Christ for salvation, receiving it, receiving this new life. We don't know how long they had talked. We don't know how long they had traveled. We don't know long, if they were still near where they had met, and uh, probably. Uh, I can't imagine the chariot racing through the desert with them talking about these things. And to... The man believes, and it says that as soon as the man believed, he looked up, and what did he see? Water. Does that strike you as odd? Where are they? You saw the picture. When God is leading, He is providing. He's over what he's, he's governing this whole process, and He has led Philip to this desert road to be there at the right time to hear this man reading of the prophets so that he can explain Jesus to him. And the Holy Spirit is giving Philip what to say. Then he moves the man to believe. And at this time, it just happened to be passing by water. And somewhere in the Ethiopian's past, he knew that that meant I need to be baptized. And so, if you take a step back from this, you can say, only God can do this kind of thing. Only God could write this script, right? Only God could have them pass the pool of water at just the right time. I mean, don't you love God's stories? I just love God's stories. I hear them all the time from people in this church, and uh, I have my own God stories. Isn't that great? <laughs> this church has its corporate God stories. There's a story of, I'm going to tell you a couple of God stories. Is that okay? Like you have a, like you have a choice in it, but no, Okay. I love this God story, and I tell it before, but and many of you know who this is, but there's these two people who, whose lives were far from God, and they both have these incidents that put them in the hospital. And they meet each other, and, and guess what? They fall in love. And they know they need some change, or they're going to not, this, I, I don't want the life that I've lived. And so they find their way to Grace Bible Church here in Georgetown, Texas, and we talk to them about who Jesus is and what Christ can do in their life. And uh, Jesus changes their lives. And they get baptized and married the same week. I love God's stories. I love stories that I come away, only God can do something like that. I remember a story of a woman who came from out of state 
And uh, she had come to temporarily live with her sister because she had nowhere else to go. She had been abused by her former husband. She, she, she was coming to my office as the last resort. If something didn't happen good here, you know, she told me she was going to end it all. We talked. We talked about Jesus, and we talked about what new life in Him was all about. And let me ask you, have you ever seen someone, and you look into their face, and the word that best describes what you see is death? Just years of heartache and hopelessness, depression. Addiction, just constant death. That's what I saw when she walked in. At one point, I asked, "Do you do you want to believe and do you want to pray and you want to you want to present your life to Jesus and just believe in Him for your salvation?" She said, "I want it more than anything." And we did, and, and, uh, and she did. And uh, I, I wish I had words to describe the change that Jesus can make in a person's life. But I don't. All I can say is where there was death was now alive. It was as if spiritual blood had started to flow. <laughs> and a heart of stone had arose from the dead. And there was, oh yeah, there was this change of countenance and there was the smiles and there was all of the newness, but it was breathtaking to see what Jesus can do in someone's life. And many of you have that story. You have that story where Jesus can just take you and in a moment's time change you. As as God would have it, she's here. We have this discussion and this conversion. And next, the next Sunday is Baptism Sunday here at Grace Bible Church. I said, do you want to be baptized? She says, I'm all in. Literally. As I thought about this, this story in the book of Acts, and I thought about this service, I thought... Uh, Before you leave here today, I would love for you to have moments where you can talk to the Lord. And it may be that there's a story that He wants to begin in your life. Maybe it's a new chapter. Maybe it's a confrontation with some of the things that you harbor in your soul. I don't know. You may be here today and you're spiritually hungry, just like this Ethiopian was. You, you know there's something missing. You really might, maybe can't put your finger on it, but there's something missing. There's something that is driving you to come and say, Lord, I, I just, I need you. I need the fullness of who you are and your grace and your forgiveness. And I want you to know he's calling you today. Maybe at home, sitting in your front room, but he's calling you today. Believe in me. He's saying, I came for you. I died for you. 
I want you to know how much I love you. I want, to know, I want you to know my forgiveness and how I can wash you clean. And I want you to receive new life today, this hour. And I think, I really think the Lord is preparing the, the church. And folks, we just need to purge from us all that is not of Him. Any bias, prejudice, racism, what? The world is filled with hatred right now. Our nation is broken. And I've got to tell you, folks, I mean, do you get the, you get the impression that things are kind of spinning out of control? I, there's not a one of you in here that can tell me what's going to happen after November. You cannot tell me what the condition of our nation will be by the end of the year. And our nation needs to see God's people loving, accepting, helping people find new life in Christ. The world needs to see a church where there is absolutely no hint of prejudice. The world needs to see a church that has no belief in the systems of man for answers. No hope for governments to fix everything. They need to see a church that just hungers for Jesus. And perhaps more now than ever. So would you bow your heads with me? And... Uh, Instead of me just closing with a prayer, I'm just going to leave space here in the, in the service and the, 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 the band's going to come. We're going to play some soft music. I want you, if you would, just to spend a moment with Him. And maybe there's something in your heart that there's a bias that's revealed and there is a barrier that is uh, between you and some type of person or kind of person or person that you know and... Uh, and you want to have the heart of Jesus who loves that person, who loves those people. You want to have His heart so enriched in your, in your heart, so embedded in you that there's just this flow of the expression. I want you to ask yourself, if you had been in the wilderness that day, would you have gone up to the chariot and talked to the Ethiopian? Confront it. Pray about it. So just spend some time with him, would you?